Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Modern Mobile Oil Field. Now, I'm sure you're probably listening to this. Most people actually listen to these in podcast form. But I'd actually encourage you to go to the YouTube channel because we've got great visuals. Jeffrey and I, our beautiful faces are here. We have a great time. And if you looked at it before, I can understand why you haven't gone back, but it's gotten better. Set looks better. Visuals are better. I like to think I've gotten a hand of the editing, so check that out. But as you know, this is a series to go with the Modern Mobile Oil Field sort of official book at this point, Jeffrey's book, Bits, Bytes, and Barrels. So of course, we're getting into a lot of good information here, but everything you hear from Jeffrey in his book is going to be much, much more comprehensive than what we can talk about. So I'm not going to keep him waiting anymore. Today, we've got our oil field tech man, Jeffrey Can. Jeffrey, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much, Tavis, for uh, organizing another follow-up to the uh, ideas in the book. Appreciate it. <laughs> of course, of course. So today, we're going to be talking about the topic of digital reality. Now, of course, uh, I was very new to this idea. I've heard of augmented reality, uh, virtual reality, but digital reality was an idea that was new to me, and I imagine it's probably new to a lot of the people listening. Can you break down what exactly it is? Uh, for sure. So the uh, digital reality is the broader term, which encompasses things like augmented reality, virtual reality, and mixed reality. And uh, so uh, the digital reality is the, is the all-encompassing um, phrase used to describe this class of uh, technology innovations. Uh, so, but this raises the sort of second-order question, well, what's the difference between augmented reality, mixed <laughs> reality, and virtual reality? So the, the way we've all seen, if you've watched any um, television sports, you will have been exposed to augmented reality. And uh, the best way to see this is a, at, a, at a, a football game or a baseball game or a basketball game. doesn't matter where they're, you're watching through the television set. You're watching something which is happening live. And there is data that is presented on top of your screen that you can visualize. And that, the, that data could be uh, where the uh, goal line is, or maybe where the, um, the the names of the players, or maybe it's their been their their most recent batting average might might appear in a kind of a bubble above their head on your television set. Hmm. That's called augmented reality, and that's where we're overlaying data on top of a view, um, a camera feed, if you like, of a of a of a real thing, a sh of something happening uh, live. Virtual reality is is where you see that that kind of goofy headset people wear <laughs> with their you know, it's got a little camera built in and maybe yep. it's got some head, some earphones and the entire of what you see, what you're seeing through that screen is completely manufactured or made up. And uh, that's a, what's called virtual reality. Very common in video games where video game players will uh, ha uh, play their game in a completely manufactured setting. Um, mixed reality is where you bring the elements of both and you make it two-way. And imagine, um, for, and to give an industrial uh, um, uh, way to think about this, imagine an oil field worker standing in front of a pump. And uh, today, how does the worker know what that pump is or its history of maintenance and repair and its current operating state? They might have to have a, a clipboard with them, a piece of paper on it that says, you know, this is what this pump is and where you're going to find it. But imagine if, as you're standing there in front of that pump, your phone's GPS locator could pick up the exact geolocation of where you're at and then query the corporate computer system to extract that same information and then deliver it to your phone. Now imagine if they delivered that to a visor 
where it was presented in front of your eyes so that you had your hands free. Because the problem with your phone is you, you lose the use of one hand because you got to hold your phone. <laughs> Imagine if that data appeared on a visor. Now you've got two hands free. Imagine if you could then talk to, I'd say, a earpiece that says, hey, um, what's the latest maintenance uh, record for this particular pump? And magically it appears on the visor in front of you. And uh, now you have the pump talking to you and presenting its operating data to your visor. That's mixed reality. And what it's doing is it's bringing together the uh, uh, real world, use the operator standing in front of a pump, and the digital world, data about that pump being presented to the operator in, in the moment. All right, so definitely a wide variety of uses, but are we seeing maybe some new uses, advantages and disadvantages that we didn't know before, especially in the age of Zoom calls and virtual conferences? Well, the advantages are that this uh, data, this uh, integration of these technologies into the operating world is the uh, improvement that uh, it brings in, in the delivery of uh, specific services or decision-making that employees are being asked to carry out. If you're able to say, imagine uh, again another example of, um, of these reality tools, you're able to see um, a flow line that's underground. You can't see it because it's buried, but using your, uh, your visor, you could, uh, because of where you're located, the computer systems could bring to you directly the precise location of that flow line so you don't, you don't sever a line as you're doing a, 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 a field dig. Uh, what, what's the advantage of that? Well, obviously, you don't, <laughs> you don't break the line. So that's, that's uh -huh. that, that. But it's the decision-making power that that brings to the employee because then they can decide to dig or not dig because they now know, you know what hazards that might be hidden that, that they can now see. Um, the disadvantage is uh, historically have been that the quality of the data that you bring to the worker delivered through these reality tools has to be very, very good. No point in saying to an employee um, at, a, at a dig site that the, the buried uh, flow line, the gathering line is here when in fact it's three feet to the left. <laughs> like, like, how has that helped anybody? Uh -huh. So your, your data quality has to be very high. And that's, that's the penalty here. Uh, that, that most oil and gas companies are going to confront is the quality of their data might not be good enough. Mm -hmm. And then which of the three major types that we have discussed between AR, VR, and MR? I'm going to re-deliver that question. I didn't, <laughs> didn't do that very well. Thank God I know how to edit these after the fact. <clears throat> so between augmented reality, virtual reality, and the mixed reality we've discussed already, what is most used in the industry today? I mean, are we using those headsets that you mentioned or is it a lot of subsurface visualization with the pipes? Well, the original use case for in oil and gas would have absolutely been in the subsurface and you can find photographs and videos of this online where um, it, in a, it go into a, a, um, a control room of some kind or a, a visualization center and the subsurface geology will be projected up onto a screen at a scale that allows people to, to really and truly understand it. That's a, a, a earliest uh, use cases that I've seen. But the more modern use case is in the world of facilities inspection and facilities design. Since the design of these assets is frequently done using computer tools anyway, it, it means that a virtual version or a digital version of an asset that's gonna be constructed exists somewhere. And uh, in CAD tools, computer-assisted uh, or automated design tools. And imagine taking that, those same design diagrams and pulling them into a, a tool that allows you to present that data visually 
as a as a a a, a construction an unconstructed project, but it, you can see it through your 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 headset. Now that what that does is lets the uh, the workers who are uh, designing or uh, building that asset to now virtually walk around it to see how it actually fits together and where there's where the safety hazards might lurk, where the um, uh, equipment needs to pass through narrow passageways. So, that's, so this improves considerably and removes a lot of uh, potential error out of design before the, these assets end up getting constructed. And that's a very, very powerful use case. Um, mm -hmm. If, if uh, there, there's a company in Calgary, for instance, by the name of VizWorks, and this is a specialization of theirs, assisting organizations do these inspections uh, before the assets get constructed. Are there any other assets or work processes that would stand to benefit? Because clearly the planning, the asset identification is nice. Maybe a remote use? Um, so in remote uh, usages, uh, you could visualize, it requires the, getting into um, uh, the, the realm of automation where a, a robot or some other tool would be uh, in a position to do something like uh, say from the air, uh, see an asset down below and extract that data. But you know, if it's a drone, it's the rea the whole idea of behind these reality tools is is that they're used by humans with our um, sort of brain processing. Uh, but what we're doing is we're feeding information to make those decisions through our eyes and our ears. And uh, so the 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 application in, in is is really more centered around humans. It's that interface between people and data that that's really where the the opportunity lies. And so uh, it gets into this. You know, wh where is there a lot of data in oil and gas that is hard for people to get their heads around or or to really understand? And I, much of that is going to sit around subsurface assets, constructed and physically built assets. Uh, the facilities, that's where the real prize is in using these tools to improve um, human understanding and, and improve the ability to work with those, those uh, specific assets. And then how fast is the use of this digital technology being implemented into the oil and gas field? I mean, I understand this is a lot younger than the other things we've talked about, but where do the largest gains lie? Well, I first started to see the technology uh, probably four years ago showing up in trade shows. Uh, where uh, the uh, computer, the engineering businesses were starting to uh, realize the potential of this, but it, but even back then it was considered clunky and and it was hard to understand where the use case was and didn't work particularly well. Uh, that's that situation is evolving very rapidly. This technology is changing very very quickly. Uh, the the money that's going into it is in the consumer space, because. Uh, us consumers, this looks very much like an extension to computer gaming, and 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 so it's it's a computer uh, consumer technology more than it is an industrial technology. But in the world of outside of oil and gas, the technology is in greater use. In automotive manufacturing is one area I know for for certain where there's a higher use higher higher use of this technology. In oil and gas, it does to date appear co uh, concentrated in um, asset construction and asset, um, uh, capital asset, uh, capital project uh, planning. And, uh, but, you know, has potential well beyond those, those two areas. Mm -hmm. Well, is there any way that we could pair this tech with other digital innovations to help, especially in the sense of exploration, even before production? Well, back to the example earlier of the, uh, using the technology to help visualize subsurface data 
Uh, and the, the answer there is yes, that this would create a way to really visualize then that subsurface asset information better. But again, that use case has been around for a very long time. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another tech company I know of that is using, uh, is taking high definition photographs of drilling cuttings as they come off the, uh, onto the, uh, the cutting table at a drill site and uh, uploading that, those photographs into the cloud and then using AI to piece together very detailed models of the subsurface geology. Uh, you can imagine taking that because it's, it's, it's an extraordinary amount of data and turning it into a visualization uh, uh, visualization experience for the engineers. It, it will alter and change how we think about um, subsurface exploration for sure. But even again, that's still we're still early early days in in thinking about this technology in that fashion. Yeah, I mean, definitely, it seems like early days. There's definitely potential in the exploration side. But what about production? When I think about it, I can't exactly piece together any examples where it might benefit, but really, I, I hope that I'm wrong. Uh, there's definitely a benefit in the, in the operations uh, side. The, the, the number of individuals and this number of trips that people have to make to various assets to validate that those assets are running and, and uh, working um, is still very, very high. And many of those trips are almost, some, some of them, not all, but some are certainly wasted. The, the engineer gets to the asset and discovers that some important and critical piece of information that would have been very, very valuable in the moment um, was, has been left back in the office. And uh, so uh, what if that asset information could be delivered directly to the engineer at that uh, asset site and then presented to them uh, through, their, uh, through a visor or a headset? That's very, very significant uh, use case uh, for that. That's sort of mm -hmm. saving that uh, transportation time. In the uh, automotive industry, the uh, uh, assembly line engineers use these technologies to assist with asset uh, configuration or car configuration, parts fitting as parts come in, you know, how they exactly do they fit up against other parts. Uh, engineers on the, on the assembly line use that, these technology to coach frontline workers and how to actually assemble the car from the perspective of the parts supplier. Mm -hmm. That technology could also apply in oil and gas. Uh, as a concept, uh, but it's still, again, very, very much uh, early use, early days for that. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of talked about it from a technical sp perspective, you know, capital projects, planning these large, large moves. Of course, seeing a wall might be in the way or seeing that the dimensions might be off are definitely useful. But what about investors? Can they stand to benefit if maybe C-level or management's trying to pitch an idea to them? I haven't seen that use case uh, yet, but... Uh, certainly, the uh, uh, one use case is the ability to bring stakeholders who need to really understand uh, what a future asset is going to look like or how it's going to behave. Uh, it is using these visualization technologies to educate, and uh, so uh, any number of stakeholders could be bought, brought through that education effort. That could, that could include financial people, could include regulators, uh, could also include um, local landowners or residents. Uh, and uh, you know, we, uh, uh, you can see some of the examples of this if you go online, particularly for some of the newer assets, uh, certainly pre-pandemic, <laughs> I would have to say. But if you're, if you're an engineering business and you've been contracted to construct a brand new subway station, for instance, these are massive in construction projects. You know, you bring in dozens of rail lines together. You need to understand passenger flow and how the, what the, the facility is going to look like. How do you, how do you express all of that 
uh, in, um, in so that stakeholders who may object to the presence of your facility, how do you, how do you help get them on board with the idea? And, and the more that we can show people in ways that um, people can process these complex ideas, the more we can show them how, what these things are going to look like in their terms, the, the faster it is for them to say, okay, I can understand how it's going to work. And, you know, you've, you've shown me how you're going to overcome my objection to it. Uh, it, it enables that kind of adoption to, to step up. So this is commonly done in, in things like shopping mall design and delivery, uh, subway stations, other transportation infrastructure, other uh, rail uh, lines, and, and uh, it's only a matter of time really before we figure out how can we use this in oil and gas. Mm -hmm. And then from a training perspective, sure, we've got lots of money invested in these projects. We don't want anything to go wrong. How can we use it to train maybe the technical people, the hands-on people implementing, building, and working with these projects? Yeah, so that that aspect of it is is already um, uh, already in place in a few a few locations that I'm aware of, uh, and you can imagine a um, uh, if you're say you're trying to train a, a an operator on um, uh, uh, mining is probably the best example, but train an operator on how to operate some complex and very very uh, uh, large and dangerous uh, asset. Of course, the assets if it's a, if it's a digger, it's it's working. Like you're not you're not going to stop digging um, your product out of the ground while you train up a bunch of workers. So how do you, how do you solve for that? Well, you, you bring them into a facility where you can train them uh, on the, the, uh, the asset. And so that's a simulator. But at the same time, how do you give them visually what it's like to actually stand on top of one of these assets and look around so that you can see what, what your landscape looks like? Uh, use case for virtual reality. And, and sure enough, there's companies that are building these exact applications to help bring workers up to speed much faster than, than, than typical. Mm -hmm. And then once working on these projects, is there any efficiencies that are afforded using digital reality when scheduling, designing, or uh, maybe identifying potential issues before they even have a chance to happen? Yeah, so a great example of this is in the health and safety arena. Uh, I'm aware of at least one instance where a these these uh, ask the a, a gas plant or, or a large facility was uh, presented to the engineering uh, team through this uh, a virtualization environment so that the 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 uh, asset itself appeared in 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 the screen and you could walk around it. And within seconds, the health and safety professionals said, that's gonna be a problem. You can't locate that particular um, structure in that fashion because it's dangerous and, and this will fail on our inspection. So the, the amount of money and time that that saved, just like that, more than paid for the use of that uh, technology because they couldn't have seen the issue until after the asset was built. Now you can have the health and safety officer during the reviews point out all of the issues that are about to, uh, you know, will we'll, we'll end up getting constructed into the asset unless the, the designs are changed. That, we're, the, the value of that is, is untold, uh, particularly if you can avoid future accidents, incidents, and loss of life and, and, and uh, other, other catastrophes. Definitely. And I like that you brought up the point of it more than pays for itself. But getting into the nitty gritty... How, how expensive is it? Because I imagine other technologies, you know, you need network and power. With this, I see headsets, I see specialized software, I see specialized simulators. Is that expensive? Uh, it's not as expensive as it uh, has been. And this is because, as with many things in digital, the costs uh, associated with uh, all, of, all of this uh, digital technology has been coming down so rapidly. And so uh, where, where it used to be that the 
the headsets were clunky and heavy. Uh, th those first generations have given way to much faster, easier, and simpler ways to to work with um, with with uh, uh, digital uh, in, uh, digital realities. Uh, so the costs have been coming down dramatically. And uh, as usual, it's uh, it, people's perception of what these things can do is often framed by the ad you saw at Christmas time two years ago. Mm. <laughs> you got to take a closer look because over time these things do get better, cheaper, faster, and uh, and are and are uh, uh, superior in many respects to earlier generations. Mm -hmm. And then now we've talked about what it is, what you can do with it, who benefits. But I'd like to get into sort of the meat and potatoes of why we do these things. How do you implement yeah. it? How does an oil and gas company even begin to start this? What areas desire the most attention when the idea pops up for the first time? Well, uh, very often the frontline workers will have the best uh, ideas as to where the, uh, the opportunity lies. Uh, a oil company I'm aware of kicked off a number of small pilots to try and test out various uh, use cases to see where the, the value was. Uh, one, one oil company I'm aware of uh, uh, and has a line strike every uh, twice a month now and consistently. And a line strike, that's where, you know, backhoe is, is uh, digging and, and uh, it's striking infrastructure, uh, uh, flow lines, gathering lines. Uh, and and why, there's a, an immediate use case opportunity there because every time you strike a line, it's an incident and it causes, uh, could cause spills, could cause, certainly causes disruption to the uh, plant. Now there's an unnecessary repair to be made. It might be a very, very compelling use case to figure out how do we bring that visualization information directly to the operators at field so that they don't strike that infrastructure. I mean, it, it's, uh, it really is driven by, uh, on a company-by-company company basis, where is the opportunity most likely to become manifest. So even to start, most companies could probably just go, oh, what's viewed better with an informational overlay or what's viewed better in 3D and go from there? Yeah, in, fa in fact, in the, in the engineering world, the, as the engineers are doing walkthroughs and designs, you know, they're not out in the field digging, but where, where and how could they use this? Well, engineering designs have historically been delivered and reviewed by all the parties involved in an engineering works in two dimensions, large sheets of paper. And, and the industry has even developed its own language, its own um, written language or design language. The, the, the way you draw these diagrams imparts meaning uh, for them. What if you could visualize that though in three dimensions um, uh, through, uh, through a headset? Uh, it changes, um, changes very dramatically how you uh, come to appreciate and understand that, that asset. So for the engineering world, that's their highest and best use case. Uh, whereas if you're in a construction company, your highest and best use case might be training your frontline workers who are operating uh, yellow goods, you know, backhoes, tra uh, tra um, shovels and so on, who are, who are building your infrastructure. Uh, teach them how to use this technology so that they don't have uh, accidents uh, during the, the worksite day. That, so that's why I say it doesn't, it really is very dependent on where you're at in the value chain, where you're going to find the value. Mm -hmm. And then what about the data required for some of these systems? I mean, I don't imagine that a ton's going to be streaming back and forth between multiple sources. Can you just make use of a big upfront download and go from there? Uh, that's some t one way of doing it. Is uh, you 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 uh, pull that uh, digital version of the asset you want to visualize to your your site, uh, where there's limited telecommunications. Uh, in you can imagine that that's the design that you'd have to go with. But for again back to the it's a very situationally uh, sensitive. If your uh, problem you're trying to solve is improving the quality of engineering works before you get into construction. 
th that design might, that effort might all take place in an office tower somewhere, or these days <laughs> over Zoom uh, virtually. Uh, so it, it's not really a field application. So again, it, it depends. Certainly that because the telecommunications and processing demand is, st is still very high for this kind of technology, the, the highest and, and, and most immediate place where you're going to see it deployed will be in those locations where there's great bandwidth and lots of uh, processing horsepower. So basically in, in central cities. Mm -hmm. And then maybe this is also situational again, like we've just discussed, but what about the accuracy of the data? Does it have to be accurate? Can we be off a little bit? I mean, again, it's is it are we identifying flow lines? Is it going to be <laughs> statistics? I mean, I guess that's also probably pretty dependent too, huh? It is. It, it, it's again, it's also dependent on the situation. Although, you know, when you're getting to the the idea of digging a a, a trench, you definitely want to um, be mindful and, and have have good quality information. Uh, if your if your design is to inspect for safety defects, you might not be all that concerned where all the rivets are that are going to go into the handrail to <laughs> for the for the the stairwell that you're going to also include uh, on your design. Um, so it, it again it's back to it, it depends. Uh, mm -hmm. The, the um, uh, I worked with a company in, in Australia whose job was to take the engineering design for say a facility and they would translate that design into the, the instructions that would be fed to numerically controlled uh, construction equipment, p machines that cut the steel or the aluminum to build the, the stairs, the handrails, the vessels, the piping. Uh, and so they're, at their level, they needed to know exactly where the rivets were going to go mm. because of the, the calculations they were doing. We, we probably don't need that level of granularity for a safety design walkthrough. Um, but uh, that data might be available. So again, mm -hmm. it depends on the application. What's the quality of the data that you need for the job that you need being done? One thing's for certain though, uh, is that this technology does depend on uh, good quality data. And uh, uh, it's just a question of the granularity that I think is really the, 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 the issue. Less granular is, is probably better because you don't have to, pro not nearly as much processing that you have to mm -hmm. do. Yeah, and then uh, a lot of the technologies we've discussed in past episodes have been heavily network-based and therefore pretty vulnerable to a lot of security breaches. Where does digital reality lie on that spectrum of locked up tight safe and <laughs> wild, wild <laughs> west? Wild, wild west. Well, the, uh, the, the worry with um, digital reality tools is that they are getting very, very good uh, at, uh, at mimicking um, the, uh, a human that you would see. And we can see this when we watch, you know, the um, uh, 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 movies uh, in theaters where the, uh, the, the environment, like a Star Wars flick or the, the Mandalorian, you know that much of what you're seeing is completely manufactured. It's not, a, it's not the real world, but it's mm -hmm. on another planet for heaven's sake. So, you know it's not real, but it, it defies your ability to decide or tell whether it's real or not. Now imagine if that technology crosses over and is used to create a fake persona, a person who's giving you some sort of instruction to carry out some work. And you as the worker believe that the instructions you're getting are authorized, correct, and, and from a reputable uh, source. And yet it's a fake. 
So we're, we're not yet at the world where that is pervasive, but there are some very, very good and worrisome examples out there where uh, this is a, a significant uh, looming problem we're going to have to wrestle with. It's how to tell what's fake from what's real, because it, the, what, what, is, what is fake is starting to look perilously close to very, very real. And it's funny that you mentioned that because sometimes we don't even know when we're being fooled. I mean, for those of you watching this, I mean, Jeffrey, are you in the corner of your office right now? Is that a uh, real uh, office behind you? Uh, this is not a real office behind me. Uh, well, it is a real office. The artwork <laughs> is real. Um, uh -huh. But uh, this is not uh, this is not a real office. In fact, um, I'm going to jump immediately here over to my kitchen. Um, <laughs> uh, this is, in fact, my kitchen. Well, I'm, not, I'm not physically there, <laughs> so no. This you you can't believe what you what's behind you all the time, or certainly what you see. Uh, no, this is this is uh, this is this is actually a screen. <laughs> <laughs> but the quality is pretty good. Most people can't tell that it's a uh, you know yeah. it's a fake, fake uh, background. Definitely have to improve our literacy on identifying fake stuff and maybe start with the yeah. less nefarious like your background. But <laughs> once digital reality has been implemented into an organization, can organizations become more adaptive in their decision-making design and scheduling for major projects that will impact the bottom line? I'm talking, you go to your manager, you say, I can save hundreds of thousands by using digital reality. Is that a situation that could occur? It could occur. I'm not seeing it yet uh, in, in in as a pervasive uh, drive in oil and gas, but there's no there are other industries where that's absolutely the case. And then, are there any examples where all of those three topics of digital reality, AR, MR, VR, have been used? I mean, you mentioned before a, a car example, and I think the audience would really like to hear that too, because for me, it oh, cleared it, up a lot of questions that I had. Yeah. So. Uh, how, how do you design and build a new car? And um, so we, we there, you'll see some advertisements on television where you know so they're imagining the car in a kind of, kind of a computer, and then they build a clay model of it and bring people in to kind of have a look at it and react to it. But the first initial design is all done on computer engineering uh, consoles, and where it creates a a virtual representation of this car. And uh, so automakers will often uh, use virtual reality, that is a headset with the display where you can walk around the car and look in the interior and you know the windows can go up and down, but it's completely virtual. It's just not a, it's not a physical thing yet. And they can use that to catch customer reactions to things like, uh, is the uh, dashboard easy to uh, understand and visualize? Uh, is the uh, seat adjustment going to be sufficient for the different kinds of people who might occupy the car? What's the customer's reaction to a new or novel door design or a new novel handle? Or, or what's the reaction to the headlights and the headlight configuration? Is it, does it, is it edgy enough or does it meet their brand prompts? You can ask and answer all these questions with, without actually having built anything. All right, so now we've, we've designed the car. <laughs> now we need to go and um, build the factory to build the car. And uh, the, the, so the second use case that the automotive industry uses is uh, to use these augmented tools, the reality tools, to help them design the, the actual facility where the car will be manufactured. Because again, that's one of these massively big facilities that's very, very hard to understand and get your, get your head around. And uh, so they use uh, reality tools to help the engineers design and build these, these facilities, including helping them to visualize placement of robots on the floor and where and how the parts will move through the, through the, through the facility. 
The third use case is during assembly, the initial run through of assembly. The workers on the assembly line won't quite understand how parts are supposed to quite fit together. They, they, they got the part, the, the vehicle's there in front of them, but you know, maybe they're struggling to get the part to fit. What they use is um, the mixed reality tools to uh, engage a phone conversation directly with the engineer who designed the part, who, by the way, might be in Germany or Austria or <laughs> Poland, uh -huh. the car's being built in Florida. That engineer is on the line on the other end of the world. The employee at the, the assembly line through a visor is getting instructions and coaching from the supervisor, the, 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 the part maker, precisely how the part's supposed to fit relative to the, uh, the assembly in front of them. And that's what helps the employees quickly learn how to adjust the parts so that they finesse it and get it in uh, into the vehicle design um, as, it's be, as, as part of the manufacturing process. All three technologies, one, one car company. And uh, so for, in their case, all of these things help them accelerate the car delivery cycle from, you know, it used to be six, seven, eight years to design and deliver a car. Now that, that timeline's been shortened up to 48 months, 36 months. There we go. It's very fast. It's very quick, very, very efficient. Fast. And clearly there are use cases for all three. So for the people out there listening to this podcast, I mean, I might be inclined to say C-level management people might not have to familiarize themselves with this, but what can the rest, the technical personnel, the young energy professionals, the engineers, how can they work to become more literate with these technologies for when it inevitably enters the oil field at a much, much stronger presence? Well, it's, it would be my view that, that most oil companies are not going to be the R&D shops that's going to be designing and, and, and developing these tools for use uh, in, in the industry. Um, but where oil and, oil and gas employees uh, can uh, participate is uh, attending things like virtual trade shows or in-person trade shows is learning about these technologies uh, when they see them on the floor and, uh, and, then, and then looking at them through the lens of the uh, potential applications for them in their own, in their own job and uh, trying to bridge the two. That's the, the place where um, those, those uh, the sort of frontline workers and professionals in oil and gas are uh, most likely to, uh, to encounter this kind of technology in, in operations in their business. And then I think that actually brings us to the end of the episode. I enjoy them so much. I know the listeners do too. And if you're a little upset that this ended at this time and you want to hear more, well, then you know what to do. Buy yourself a copy of Bits, Bytes, and Barrels. That's really going to open the rest of this up for you. You can get it from Amazon for about $10. If you're like me, sometimes I like to cook. Sometimes I like to keep moving, and I say, oh, I don't have the time. Audible. Audible's there for you, too. Use a credit. Get the book. Read through it. Really, there's no excuse to not know this stuff because Jeffrey's spelling it out. It's coming. It's up to us to be able to grab that, seize it, and learn how to use these tools. So you can go to Rare Petro to find the other podcasts that we've published on this. I'll be sure to include Jeffrey's websites, all of his resources, his personal day-long course that will actually really get you mastered in this area. And uh, Jeffrey, do you have any other last words before we end the show? On, well, certainly on digital reality, my perspective is that it has a tremendous uh, potential for the oil and gas industry, uh, but underlying quality digital reality is quality data. And so there's, we, we, we probably should do an episode just on this whole question of, of data and data quality, but uh, uh -huh. the, the two go hand in hand. 
Definitely. Hey, maybe we'll do that up in the end, but you gotta sure you gotta make sure you're subscribed to both Rare Petro and Jeffrey Kant's content so you don't miss out. But again, thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody.